Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live to see it, friends. You're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Fast Forward Radio is an audio production of The Speculist, and you can find us online at speculist.com. That's S-P-E-C-U-L-I-S-T dot com. Or if you don't mind typing in blog.speculist.com, that address will get you right to the good stuff. At The Speculist and on Fast Forward Radio, we articulate a unique vision of the future, a very positive vision. We provide what we call dispatches from a rapidly changing, rapidly improving world. And we have our eye on much bigger changes to come, a future that few of us expect and that most of us wouldn't even dare dream possible. But we believe that if we play our cards right, that future will soon be upon us. And it's a future that we will all very much want to live to see. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-blogger, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you tonight? Well, I can't even say super fantastic. It's not enough to cover how excited <laughs> I am about the program we have tonight. It is uh, a huge program tonight. This, this, is, this, is, this is a biggie. This is the one we've been building up to for a while. So uh, uh, I guess I should say for the second time, actually, we've had a panel discussion before. We did one on uh, transhumanism with some friends from the World Transhumanist Association late last year. And now this week... We've got a very distinguished panel with us to talk about the technology roadmap for productive nanosystems. And we're going to devote the entire hour this week to that discussion. Uh, we're going to forego any of our other normal features so that we have as much time as possible for the panel. And in fact, I'm going to uh, jump right to introducing the panel and getting that started. So let me start with our first panel member, and that would be Christine Peterson. Christine is a founder and the acting president of Foresight Nanotech Institute. She writes, lectures, and briefs the media on coming powerful technologies, especially nanotechnology. Foresight educates the public, technical community, and policymakers on nanotechnology and its long-term effects. Christine serves on the advisory board of the International Council on Nanotechnology, the editorial advisory board of NASA's Nanotech Briefs, and on California's Blue Ribbon Task Force on Nanotechnology. Christine, welcome back to Fast Forward Radio. We're very pleased to have you on the panel this evening. Hi, Phil, and hi, Stephen. It's great to be here. Yeah. Great Our to have you. Yeah, we're, we're really pleased to have you. This is, uh, is going to be fun. Our next panelist is Dr. David Forrest. Uh, he is the president of the Institute for Molecular Manufacturing and a senior fellow at the Foresight Nanotech Institute. David is a member of the Working Group for the International Technology Roadmap for Productive Nanosystems, which is what we're talking about this evening, and of the Technical Advisory Group to the American National Standards Institute, which uh, we all know as ANSI. And he's on the ISO Technical Committee on Nanotechnology. David has performed technology and policy an analysis of nanosystems and their consequences since 1985, and is currently employed as a materials research engineer at the Naval Surface Warfare Center in West Bethesda, Maryland. David, welcome to Fast Forward Radio. Thanks. Good to be here. Finally, our uh, last and certainly not least third uh, panel member, Dr. Pearl Chin, is a research fellow with Foresight Nanotech. Pearl has extensive experience in strategy and marketing consulting, management consulting, operations, sales and marketing, and customer service in diverse industries from small to large companies. Pearl specializes in advising on nanotechnology investment opportunities. Prior to joining Foresight Nanotech Institute, she was a management consultant with Patilio, Rabin, Todd, and McGrath with the Chemicals, Engineered Materials, and Packaged Goods Group, optimizing supply chain operations. Pearl, welcome back to Fast Forward Radio. Thanks. Glad to be back. Well, it's great to have all three of you here, and uh, I'm very excited about the 
topic that we have for this evening, which is the technology roadmap for productive nanosystems. And what I thought I would do is just start out with some very basic background for our listeners who may not be familiar with it. We've, we've provided links on the speculus to it this week and, and did give some, some background. But just for, for those who are coming to the roadmap for the first time, um, let me just uh, address this question, Christine. Uh, what is the background of the roadmap? How did the project get started? What was the kind of driving need that said, hey, we need to do a project like this? So as you know, Foresight has been around for over 20 years now, and we have from the beginning been looking at the question of how do we get from today's technology to advanced nanotechnology able to build with atomic precision. Uh, and when we say that, we don't mean uh, build, build only small things. We are referring to having actually large products with atomic precision. This is obviously a very ambitious goal, but I think especially uh, from an environmental and medical perspective, it is the ultimate goal of nanotechnology. So we've been working on this now, trying to move this forward for over 20 years, and uh, progress has been steady, but of course we all want those environmental and medical benefits sooner. And so we decided in 2005 that it was time to try to put together some kind of technology roadmap that would lay out all the different pathways, how they interact, uh, and what it's going to take to get us to our goal. And that was how the project was born. Uh, and fortunately, we were able to find a funder for it. That's Ted Wade of Gateway Computer fame. Uh, and he stepped up to the funding of this roadmap project. And so the roadmap, uh, b b because we've, we we've all uh, had discussions about uh, nanotech, and there have been articles, there are books, there's there's a there's a body of information uh, uh, and, and and speculative thought as well as uh, you know a, a good deal of planning around uh, how we would get from here to there. But but the roadmap is is it fair to say, kind of gives us the, uh, the the step by step the 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 broad picture of what it's going to take to get from where we are now to the realization of uh, atomically precise manufacturing. I would say the current version, which is, uh, is a first cut at laying out the different pathways, I would say that um, the goal, of course, is to actually get a step-by-step -step, uh, detailed roadmap. Um, but I would say this first version is, is more of a, of a broad overview. Okay. And um, you said we started with this in uh, 2005. How long did it uh, take to develop, and uh, how, how many were involved in the devel development of the roadmap? Uh, we had hoped, we originally set a very ambitious schedule of attempting to do the entire roadmap in about one year. Uh, but as we got into the project, it became clear that uh, this was going to take a lot more work. Uh, no surprise, really. And so it did end up taking about two years. Uh, and the first files went on to the Internet in December, January time frame, uh, late 07, early 08. And how big was the team who was working on it? Oh, my gosh. It is absolutely dozens of people. You would need uh, people who download the, uh, the roadmap can see the full list in the front of the document. It is a huge list. It, it's yeah, I was really impressed pages. by the, the, the number of people, and I'm assuming by and large they were devoted, just uh, uh, donating their time to do that. Is that right? This was a oh yes, yeah. The vast majority of them were, in fact, volunteers. L labor of love, putting this thing together. Well, it's it's quite a uh, quite an accomplishment to have that done, and it's it's great to see that uh, that we've taken this step. Now, let me uh, uh, direct the next question to Pearl, uh, talking about the um, kind of the the thinking behind putting the roadmap together, what, what's our thought as to who will use it and how will, how will the roadmap be used and how will it get us closer to, um, uh, to the kinds of technologies that it outlines? Well, I, I guess that because it's a technology roadmap, it's sort of uh, geared toward industry so that they can get a sense of what is sort of going to be coming up in terms of what people want uh, or what, what research is being done in the area. Um, 
after they have a sense of what is currently being done, they can start to focus their efforts in what their particular areas of uh, strength are and that their particular company. Um, so the idea is to use that information so that the industry uh, can actually move forward in terms of commercializing a lot of that, uh, a lot of that wonderful work that's happening in all the research labs all around the world. So that, that's who we're really sort of focusing on. Of course, you know, obviously the um, the average person, you know, who who ends up using all this technology, the end user, uh, is also uh, someone to target as well because it you know has it makes us look forward to to these things that could be happening for us and can make our life a lot easier. So. So we're looking both at uh, uh, both at industry as a whole and and for those who would be doing the. Well, uh, within industry, those who would be doing the work, and then ultimately those who would be those who would be using the technology. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and also people don't realize it also helps other people who are working in those research areas get a sense of what everyone else is doing too. I mean, you know, they do have conferences, but it's another way to sort of network information as well. So, right. So uh, before I move on to the next question, Stephen, I was following the chat there. Um, do we have confirmation from the chat room that we've got an audio problem, or what's <laughs> yes. Uh, Apparently, uh, we are breaking up uh, where the folks uh, that are listening over the Internet are hearing about half of what we're saying, unfortunately. Um, it could be that uh, ultimately when, when the MP3 is made uh, later, uh, you know, it, it, it sounds great. Uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, it's no way of knowing, really. So, um, um, Michael, I, I, I see that you lost your audio and then it's back. Is it? Uh, is it? Still spotty, or is it, or is it good? Anyway, I, I I think maybe we should press on, Phil. Okay, uh, but we have confirmation from more than just Michael. There are other oh, people yeah. in the chat room. Who yes, uh, it seems like everybody that's hearing us, uh, we're having an audio problem. Would, would it would it make sense for us to hang up and dial back in, or? Um, panelists, would y'all mind doing that? No, no, not at, not at all. Okay. okay. Well, let's. Uh, let's are having trouble hearing. I, I, I hate to ask that, but why don't why don't we try that real fast? Okay. Okay. I'll be okay. right back. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Who can Hello? hear me? I can hear you. This uh, is Pearl. Okay, Pearl. Thank you. Uh, Phil, are you there? I'm here, yes. All right. Uh, Christine, are you there? Yep. Okay. How about David? I am here as well. Okay. okay. And let's, Hopefully they can hear us better now. I, I don't know what else we could do beyond that. So. Sorry, sorry for the inconvenience. Thank you all, your good sports panel. We appreciate you uh, hanging up and dialing back in. That uh, if, if that's our audio glitch for the week, Stephen, at least we got it over early this week. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we got we got right to it. Um, but let's pick this back up, talking about the uh, technology roadmap. A, a, a question for for David now. If we could if we could get a quick overview of what exactly is it that we're talking about in the Roadmap. We, we see these terms: um, atomically precise manufacturing, um, atomically precise productive nanosystems. Um, we, we, we read uh, tip-directed APM, AP self-assembly. We read about DNA frameworks. Um, in just uh, you know, brief summary form, could you could you give us kind of an overview of what it is that the um, that the roadmap is is talking about and, and kind of step us through where it's taking us? Sure. Well, some of those terms that you just mentioned are, are really part of the long-term vision, that uh, uh, vision to manufacture large, atomically precise objects, uh, such that every atom is exactly where you want it to be. And the question then is, how do we get there? And some of the other things that you mentioned, for example, uh, tip-based manufacturing, and um, uh, patterned atomic layer epitaxy, uh, which are technologies that are mentioned in the roadmap, are some of the many technologies, and as well as the, uh, the DNA-based frameworks, are, are some of the many technologies that are covered in the roadmap as uh, either a, a part of a pathway or, or an enabling technology in order to get to that long-term vision. 
So uh, the long the long term vision is uh, atomically precise, productive nanosystems. Is that right? That's the that's the end game. Yeah, it's. Um, I guess we we have this uh, this uh, visual, which um, is uh, something that that folks can download. Chris, is that still at foresight.org/nanofactory.move? Um, I would say just go to your favorite search engine and and type in nanofactory video. That might be the fastest. We've uh, we've had it a couple of times at the Speculist. I'll uh, I'll make sure it's in the show notes as well. We'll include that in the show notes this week for sure. That's great. Yeah, that's a good visual representation, I think, of what you're talking about. That that would be helpful for our audience. But in in the meantime, if if one can imagine uh, ro robotic systems manipulating molecules such that uh, you're you're positioning them precisely and and uh, detaching atoms from these molecules onto a workpiece that, that you're growing to uh, atomic precision so that every atom is where you want it to be in that, that growing product. And then imagine a, a, a factory full of trillions of uh, these molecular machines all doing very similar operations in the same way that, uh, for example, a, a textile factory uh, fashions from, from the smallest fibers uh, into large quantities of, of fabric. Uh, one can imagine uh, from the, the smallest molecules uh, fashioning uh, large objects, uh, but in, in, a, in a more precise way than, uh, than current factories can, uh, can achieve this. So we have... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I was going to ask, David, um, with uh, manufacturing integrated circuits, we've seen exponential advances, and that's you know Moore's law, and uh, I, it's sort of a self-reinforcing trend. We produce better integrated circuits. Uh, that intelligence tool then helps us produce the next generation. Could we see a similar self-reinforcing exponential development when, when you're talking about nanofactories? Well, I think uh, in, in terms of the, uh, the development pathway of having some sort of crude uh, system to fashion atomically precise objects, for example, uh, the, uh, the one technology you mentioned was tip-based manufacturing, which is essentially using uh, a scanning of uh, tunneling a microscope and and atomic force microscope tips that are able to manipulate individual atoms and molecules, using them as uh, positional tools to uh, to build atomic small atomically precise objects. So one can imagine a, a pathway where you have some crude ability to make some atomically precise objects, uh, and then if if one can at least make some uh, some small subset of, of atomically precise objects that that would be useful in then uh, fashioning a, a more capable system to make other atomically precise objects, but but a broader range of those atomically precise objects. That's the kind of of uh, bootstrapping that I think uh, you're talking about. So the uh, progression would be you go from uh, using the microscope, doing the, the tip-based type assembly to some some level of self-assembly that, that then leads to a larger level of self-assembly that finally gets you to the nanofactory? Is that broadly, roughly what you're talking about? Well, I, I would, uh, I, I guess I would qualify that, and, and I'm, I'm more of a positional assembly uh, uh, Centric uh, in in my philosophy of how these systems would be made, uh, in in that um, self assembly, I, I think is is kind of difficult to make uh, systems of molecules that will snap together in just the right way to build uh, uh, other larger uh, uh, useful 
uh, uh, molecules, perhaps in terms of a, of a structural framework uh, for, for support, self-assembly would, would be a good idea. But I think in terms of building some of the more complex structures that might be useful in, uh, in fashioning more complex molecular machines to make more capable atomically precise systems, uh, that uh, positional assembly is, is, is probably the way to go. But that's okay. my bias. So you can get there just via positional assembly. A self-assembly wouldn't necessarily be required. Well, that's, that's uh, certainly one of the debates uh, within the community, and, and I acknowledge my, my bias towards positional assembly. But uh, it could be that uh, in the long run, you'll, you'll simply use a combination of both approaches. OK, fair enough. You're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We're talking with a panel about the technology roadmap for productive nanosystems. We'll be opening up our phone lines a little bit later in the program. If you have a question for the panel, you can call us at 347-215-8972. Now, I've got a little bit more of a philosophical question, and I would like to address this one to each of the panel members in turn. And we'll start... Uh, well, I'll announce who we'll start with after I after I say. That. So, the, we haven't we haven't heard much from Pearl, so maybe we should start with her. <laughs> okay, we'll throw this one at Pearl. Uh, the the roadmap says that uh, atomically precise manufacturing will launch an industrial revolution. I was I was intrigued by that language. So, my question for each of you on the panel, starting with Pearl, is uh, what do you think will be the biggest impact of any type that you care to name? Social, economic, political, technological. Uh, biggest impact of the widespread introduction of atomically precise productive nanosystems? Pearl. So can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, well, um, I, I believe the biggest uh, uh, strides will be made in the healthcare industry, in particular uh, things for diagnose, disease diagnosis and treatments, in particular cancer. Um, so I, I think um, in that sense, I think, you, I mean, I don't want to state the obvious, but obviously, you know, people will uh, will have cures and earlier diagnoses um, and possibly live longer. Um, so I think we'll see, um, you know, social as well as medical and technological advances in that area. So those, and that's also, uh, and I think the um, roadmap does sort of uh, uh, showcase that as well. So. so let's talk a little bit about those medical advances. What kinds of, uh, what kinds of treatments will... Uh, productive nanosystems make possible that that aren't possible now, and how will how, how will they address maybe uh, problems that we can't currently address? Uh, well, you know, uh, nanotech biotechnology, nanotechnology, they'll be able to create uh, more sensitive, higher sensitive uh, sensors, biosensors, um, which will enable uh, earlier detection. You'll be able to to detect the disease a, a lot earlier. It'll be faster as well. Um, so instead of taking several days for your lab results to, to show up and come into the office, and you may actually be able to do it and have it done in the doctor's office within a couple hours or maybe even less. Um, after that, obviously, then we were talking about uh, actually trying to figure out how to treat uh, these, these, uh, these diseases. I mean, if it's cancer, then we're, we're talking about cancer cells. Uh, if you're talking about infections, you know, it's either viral or bacterial, and, and each, each has its own sort of uh, method to, to address um, but, for instance, uh, you would be able to use uh, nanotechnology to target drug delivery to wherever you need to go. Um, and for cancer, that's, that's extremely important uh, because you don't want to uh, kill the good cells with the bad cells, which has been uh, done in, in the past uh, you know, with, with great success. Uh, but I imagine that if you can actually target the, the cancer cells specifically, um, you could actually treat the cancer uh, in a much more holistic and, and uh, better way so that there's less, less side effects for the, uh, the patient. If um, we were to look at uh, health benefits of achieving uh, APM um, from, from, from the other side, in, in addition to treating uh, existing conditions, in, in addition to, to treating illness, um, are there uh, aspects of preventative medicine that, uh, that nanotech will open up? On the preventative side, um I think there may be. I personally haven't actually thought about it, uh, although I do think the insurance uh, industry will be very happy about it. Um, well, one, I've, I've just, I've, you know, and, and I don't have a, a, a real specific example, but I've thought about 
um, uh, you know, my, my, my own mind imagines uh, uh, nanobots cleaning out my arteries before heart disease sets in or, you know, breaking up a kidney stone before it uh, forms or uh, uh, th those, those kinds of things. Will, 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 will that sort of thing be enabled by, by this technology, do you think, or is that more on the science fiction-y kind of horizon? I mean, I, I think it's... I think we can address it. I mean, if you if you treat kidney stones and, and all those like as as if it's any other disease, uh, it, it's about finding the cure and targeting the cure specifically to those, those kidney stones. Um, you know, there may be a way to to sort of uh, um, program nanobots or you know molecules uh, to target those particular stones and, and to deliver drugs that'll that'll pulverize and break it up as well. And just and just like breaking up plaque in your in your arteries. It's quite possible. I mean, if, if if we're talking about being able to target cancer cells, I mean, the other thing seems somewhat benign. It's just that no one really thinks about doing these things. However, maybe we should put you on the roadmap. <laughs> well, yeah, I've got a few ideas. Well, I just want to prevent all the stuff that's already happened to me. That's my big goal. That's my big goal. I possibly could. Um, as we, okay, as so we get a little overcomplicated. So, it's <laughs> like, yeah. cool yeah. to kill kidney stones. It's really cool to kill cancer cells, but, you know. So I, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, gallstones, there's a lot of this kind of stuff. Well, or I think about, you know, I mean, this this sounds really uh, uh, really basic, but uh, you think about tooth decay, right? Uh, it, it seems to me that uh, uh, that th this kind of technology would, would probably be able to provide some really good preventative uh, 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 medicine uh, for dentists. That, that you know, going to get your teeth cleaned down to the molecular level might uh, might might be a big uh, improvement over even what's available today. I would think. I, mean, I think it's always possible. I guess the question is, how much are you going to spend to clean your to clean your cavities and your all the bacteria at such a such a level where uh, it'll cost you so much more uh, than just using your toothbrush on a regular basis? So you you do have to sort of factor that in as well. I mean, you know, there are. Now, there's many mouthwashes, you know, that are antibacterial or, or, or that type of thing already. Um, so you, you probably want to get marginally better. I guess the question is how much will it cost to do it? So, I mean, it's always doable. I guess it's how, it's how much it's going to cost you. Right. Absolutely. Okay, so let's take the same question and we'll move on to, uh, to Christine. So, Christine, with the coming... Industrial Revolution. Uh, uh, what do you think will be the, the the biggest impact? Social, economic, political, technological. What what is the biggest change that widespread introduction of atomically precise productive nanosystems will bring about, in your view? Well, since we've already covered the medical aspect pretty well, I I would like to talk about the other big one in my mind, which is environmental. Um, okay. I. That, that's the side of nanotechnology that first attracted me to the field uh, over 20 years ago now, which is anyone who cares about the environment um, has to be uh, pretty excited with the prospect of being able to build our products with uh, very high efficiency and, more important, uh, very cleanly. In other words, today when we make our products, there's always something left over, and some of it gets recycled, but but some of it also gets dumped into the air and the water, uh, and that's just how it's always been. And to me, it's always been extraordinarily inspiring that we actually can see a pathway now toward a world where we can have our high-tech product without producing chemical pollutants, either in the air or the water. Um, we could, in principle have um, zero chemical pollution, get it all the way down to zero. Now, that's a very ambitious goal, and it may not be economically feasible for quite a while, but that as a goal is extremely exciting to me. Uh, and then the next step we want to turn our technology to addressing is environmental restoration. In other words, we've already made quite a bit of mess at this point with our planet, this gives us the tools to say, look, um, how let's put things back in a natural state, uh, including the atmosphere, deal with uh, you know global climate change as well, and just clean up all the toxic waste, all of the uh, all of the problems we've created. Uh, and to me, that that has always been extremely inspirational and exciting. Those are just about the uh, the the 
the coolest two ideas I think you know that that uh, that, that you come across when you when, when you talk about some some of these kinds of technologies. Let's let's take those one at a time. Let's start with um, let's start with a, a high tech. Uh, technological infrastructure that does not pollute what is you know how do how do we get to that and and what does that look like by the time you get there what what's powering everything at that point that you're that you're able to do it with 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 no pollution well i think for for the uh, the listeners uh on the show here probably one way to think about it is to go and look at that video because i think that it helps show how you start down at the molecular level, combining molecules in a highly controlled fashion where every single one is controlled. There's nothing that is, that is out of control and bouncing around in the process. Um, and how those, those parts gradually get larger and larger and eventually form real products. So I think uh, just in terms of the principle behind it, that's, watching the video is very helpful. Um, what was the second part of your question there, Phil? Oh, and, and the second part was um, how would we use uh, nanotechnology to clean up the environment? How would it, uh, how, do, how, do, how do we deploy, employ that technology to actually undo the damage that's already been done? Well, if you think about, first there's, as you know, there's, as we all know, there's a huge number of different ways that damage has occurred. Large numbers of toxic chemicals, uh, all the way up to macro-scale litter, uh, you name it, it's been done to the planet. So, so there's going to be, a, it's going to take a lot of different approaches because each one of these problems has to be addressed uh, on its own. So if you think about it, let's say that we're looking at toxic chemicals. Um, human beings are too big to physically go into uh, the soil, say, and, and process the soil and, and pluck out the individual toxic molecules. We just can't do it. Our hands are too big. Uh, so what we need is we can need to come up with technologies that can handle things down at the molecular level and can actually sense toxic uh, molecules, identify them, and if they're uh, out of place, if they're not supposed to be there, to uh, neutralize them and then uh, and recycle them in some fashion. So we need to, instead of using our big macro-scale hands that cannot pluck out these toxic chemicals, we need to come up with uh, basically nanoscale machinery that can do it automatically because otherwise we're never going to get this job done. So, so this is really the technology that operates at the scale, that operates at, with, with the refinement Right, the fineness to, to make it possible to clean up at, at, at that level, to really make something happen. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, we need, we need um, to come up with technologies that can actually identify the particular problem, uh, say it's a contaminant in the soil, uh, need, need to be able to, um, to look at, a, 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 say, a soil sample and be able to, as you know, in soil there are hundreds or thousands of components. Most of them are supposed to be there, uh, and identify the few that should not be there, uh, and then and then manage to remove those. This is going to be very difficult, but I think uh, highly inspirational, especially to young people as they get these new tools. The idea of being able to actually clean up the earth in a direct fashion is very exciting. That is an exciting one. All right, David. So we've got uh, we're gonna. Uh, address uh, health care. We're going to address the environment. So uh, you, you get uh, you, you get third pick for what the biggest impact will be for uh, atomically precise, precise productive nanosystems. What's your what's your vote for? Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that you asked this question. Um, uh, when um, when we launched the roadmap at the uh, meeting last October in uh, in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, I, uh, I gave a talk uh, along with my uh, co-author, uh, Neil Jacobstein, and, and, and we thought a lot about this. Um, the, the, let me give you two answers. The, the first answer is that the roadmap itself targets two specific uh, areas of, of high impact. Uh, if you read the roadmap, you'll see that there are specific recommendations uh, in the areas of, of energy and medicine. We've already talked about medicine. So, uh, so the roadmap itself 
uh, is looking at those. Um, but, but the one that, that Neil and I uh, focused on uh, uh, in our in our talk last fall was the the concept uh, of real security. And real security is a term that was coined by Amory Lovins, but, but not in the context of atomically precise manufacturing. And, and what, what we mean here is that security is, is more than just a function of, of having a, an improved lethal force. Um, that, that real security comes when you improve prosperity on a widespread basis. How secure are we really when much of the world resents how we live, hates their circumstances, and feels like they have no future on this planet? So the idea then is that with, uh, with a technology like atomically precise manufacturing, we have a real possibility to win uh, hearts and minds. And what we're talking about is through uh, reliable and affordable food, uh, water, shelter, energy, uh, sanitation, and health, a sustainable and, and flexible transportation, production, communication, and commerce, uh, through education, and a helpful environment. And so, um, so we feel that uh, we have a real potential to improve the, uh, the state of, uh, of prosperity on this planet on a, and you talk about high impact, we're talking about billions of people on this planet who could benefit from this technology and have a substantial improvement in their standard of living. And, and oh, go ahead, Stephen. I was just I was going to address uh, uh, an, another question to the panel. So, but let me, let me go ahead and make your comment, uh, Phil. I, I was I was just going to say um, for 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 all of these uh, for, for for all of these developments we've talked about, um, is anyone on the panel willing to step up and say when we'll we'll be seeing these kinds of things? Because I'd sure like to see. Uh, the, the the medicine the, uh, the 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 healthcare and uh, the poverty uh, all addressed. But uh, when when will we see these kinds of things? Do we do we have a time frame on any of this? Well, um, this is Chris. I I don't think we can we can get an exact time frame. I think um, it depends a lot on funding and how excited the public gets about the goal and uh, how, much, how much research funding uh, makes its way into the hands of, of the folks working on this. Um, obviously, I'm very enthusiastic about this, and I would, um, would definitely want to see that funding increase. Um, of, of, of a date, we all we all want dates. Um, it, I, I have learned to think of it a different way, which is um, I think that uh, I'm in the baby boom generation, and my, my I believe that it, uh, at least in my case, that I will see these things in my lifetime. So that's that's sort of how I think about it. Okay. Well, my question kind of relates to the uh, relates to this. Um, you know, in the real world, when you pull out a roadmap and you're taking a trip, um, you, one of the things you you want to you want to see as you're as you're traveling is landmarks, uh, milestones, or whatever. Um, on this roadmap, uh, are there going to be significant developments that you can you know that we could look at you know look towards now to say, yeah, when we reach this point, this will be significant. Uh, what kind of uh, what kind of milestones are are out there ahead of us? I guess I'll direct direct this one to David since you were last. You could... <laughs> okay. uh, yes, thank you. Uh, as you were saying that, I, I was thinking, yes. Uh, what what we're looking for is is the first kernel of a nano system, and um, I'm I'm happy to say that that one is already behind us. Uh, back in 
2003, at least this is what I consider to be a, a landmark achievement, uh, Alex Zettel and, and his group at um, uh, UC Berkeley uh, and also Lawrence Berkeley uh, built a molecular motor based on uh, carbon nanotube, a double-walled carbon nanotube bearing and uh, using uh, some standard lithographic techniques to to get this thing spinning around. So, uh, so you finally have a a system that operates uh, with molecular machine components that is controllable from the desktop, and that was done back in 2003. One one of the pathways that that I see uh, that's embedded within the roadmap as getting us to more advanced nanosystems uh, simply builds on that uh, technology based on carbon nanotubes that, uh, that's already uh, started. So in my view, we're already uh, past the threshold of, of, uh, of milestones that will lead us to productive nanosystems. Excellent, excellent. Uh, anyone else on the panel want to want to tackle this one? What kind of milestones uh, we should be looking for? Well, I think I think um, this is Chris. In a in a general way, I think for the layperson, um, as you watch over the years, one interesting question is: What is the largest object? And by that, I mean. Um, uh, it will start with being nanoscale, but what is the largest object we can build with atomic precision? Um, people think nanotechnology is about small things and about making things smaller, but if you're thinking of atomic precision, it's really about making things bigger while you maintain that precision. So right now, chemists routinely make molecules of a few atoms, maybe a dozen, a couple dozen, and then polymer chemists can make larger ones with atomic precision. Um, and as laypeople, uh, we can look and say, well, how big is it? You know, how many atoms can you guys put in an exact location at this point and build something that's all hooked together with atomic precision? So that's, a, that's an easy thing to track over the years, is how big can you build with atomic precision? Where are we at now on that? Well, that's a good question. Um, it depends, and this is now we get a little technical. It depends on whether you count polymers that fold up, or do you insist that it be one big 3D structure that that is co is covalently bonded? Um, I wouldn't think that we can build more than a few dozen in terms of covalently bonded. David, what is that right? Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is a tough question. I guess the the question the the answer would be whatever the uh, the, the longest uh, perfect carbon nanotube uh, would be, and I, I I don't really track that sort of thing, but um, um, it, w it would certainly be hundreds of atoms, I would think, if not many more than that. And and, and as you say, we're not counting uh, uh, proteins that are folded up or, or DNA. Should be a lot more atoms than than that. So if we if we were to count those, then then that that would indicate that we're even farther along. Is that is that fair to say? It it would be, but but all these are are fairly limited in terms of uh, in the case of carbon nanotubes, in terms of their complexity. Or, or in the case of uh, proteins and, and DNA and RNA that, that can fold up into interesting uh, shapes, uh, in terms of the uh, the, the limited uh, range of uh, of atoms that that are used in those structures and, and limited range of. Uh, of folded uh, structures that, that result from uh, from those designs. Okay. Well, let's um, – oh, let me do this. We're, we're, uh, you're listening to Fast Forward Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network, 
And we're opening up the phone lines now. If you'd like uh, to ask our panel a question, you can give us a call at 347-215-8972. So uh, let's, let's turn the discussion to looking ahead a little bit. One of the uh, parts of the roadmap that I was most interested in and that I wrote a little bit about on the Speculist were these uh, future horizons that are, that are outlined up front in the roadmap. And uh, three of those are, are listed. And uh, let, let me just start with the first. In the first horizon, it talks about uh, developments leading to applications. Uh, these are listed uh, multifunctional biosensors, uh, antiviral and anti-cancer agents, uh, logic elements in the five nanometer size range, and nano-enabled fuel cells and solar volta voltaics. So uh, let's flesh those out a little bit, if we could. Um, how would, for example, those uh, antiviral or anti-cancer agents work, or how would the photovoltaics be different from what we have today? I guess, I guess what I'm asking is, what's what's the overall significance of what we're seeing happen at that at that first horizon? How is that first horizon defined? And I'll just throw that out to anyone on the panel who wants to grab that one. Uh, this is Pearl. Um, I mean, I think some of it is already being done in terms of antiviral and things like that. Uh, I, I sort of alluded to it earlier in terms of, uh, you know, nanotechnology for, um, for you know, infectious diseases and disease detection. Um, it really is about, you know, targeting and looking for markers uh, for those particular diseases uh, at really, really low detection rates so you can catch it at very, very early, you know, very early detection. Um, and it is being done already. Um, so in terms of anti, you know, not the antiviral in terms of preventative, but actually just sort of uh, tracking down viral, uh, viral infections and, and things like that. Um, in, in that sense, nanotechnology could also uh, be, have more targeted drug delivery um, toward those particular viruses, and also in terms of markers as well. Uh, it's almost like a homing device, like a guided missile. Right. What about the five nanometer logic element? What? Uh, how close are we to that, and what what can you do with one of those? Well, actually, that's not my area of expertise. So you'd have to ask David about that one. <laughs> well, uh, th that's not really my area of expertise either. I hate to uh, to defer on that one because I, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't author that uh, that particular. Um, part part of the report, but I, I think that a lot of those those things that are mentioned um, are are really expected to have a, a payoff towards the end of the line. That is, when you have uh, large scale uh, productive systems of uh, productive nanosystems uh, working to build larger objects, so that you don't just have one uh, one tiny bit of a photovoltaic cell or, or one logic element, you can you can build an entire computer or or, or a you know a large, you know, roof size array of uh, photovoltaic uh, cells. And so so that's really part of the, the long term vision when, when we're to the point where this is all working very well and we can build large objects to atomic precision. I think the harder questions are what are the what are the low hanging fruit along the way? You know, how do we get the near term payoffs to drive this technology forward? And and that's a lot a lot harder to find. It's I think you'll find that at least as I read through. The, uh, the the roadmap uh, it's it's kind of slim pickings uh, on the uh, on the intermediate term applications that's uh, that's that's the hard part. Well, one of the one of the things that uh, I thought was was really interesting about each of those horizons was there there were intriguing things happening at each stage. But as I uh, as I as I wrote them down and thought about them, I thought, well, yeah, but how do you use this thing exactly? I mean, when you get to the third one. Um, it, it becomes it becomes a lot clearer. You say, ah, okay, one of these. That's that's how that works. But uh, let's, uh, Stephen, take us through that second horizon. What do, what do we get in that one? And uh, well, let me offer first a uh, a layman's guess on the on the five nanometer uh, logic um, 
thing. Let me. Wouldn't that be Wouldn't that be an awesome thing to have for for medicine? I mean, uh, you you take a pill and uh, and it's got sort of a built-in uh, if-then statement. You know, if if you uh, if you need this medicine, then release it. If not, then it passes right through you. Um, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't that be a? Uh, I mean, let me throw that out to the panel. Would would something like that uh, is is that within the realm of possibility? <laughs> okay. Nobody's uh, touching that one, man. Okay. Well, here's, here's the thing. I, I think, and I, I may be sort of repeating myself. Um, many many things are possible. Uh, yeah. I, you know, it depends how much will it cost to do it. And is it really worth giving someone medication for something that they may not have? Um, so now, you know, I mean, already people are all kind of upset that people are taking more antibiotics than they need to, and people are worried about they're going to get, uh, you know, the resistance to, to the antibiotics. So in that sense, now, now we're talking about how to be a doctor. You know, would you actually do something like that? I mean, it's possible, but is that the really best way to treat a patient? Right, um, right. I mean, I actually think it's possible. Uh, it, I mean, if you, I guess it, what it comes down to is uh, if someone wants to self-medicate themselves, you know, is this going to be something that will be uh, offered over the counter? Uh, then we're, now we're having going to be having issues with government in terms of FDA. Um, you know, and then doctors may be kind of upset because then they sort of lose control uh, over how do you medicate yourself. Although, you know, in the end it may not, may not make any difference because if the logic gate says you don't have it, then it won't release it anyway. Um, now the insurance companies may have an issue with it because then, well, they're going to say, well, I'm not paying for medication you may not need. Um, so it's sort of, a, it's all very possible. So you sort of think about uh, what everybody, what type of a stake everybody has in, in, in something like that. So I absolutely think it's possible. Um, I think you could have, they have a lot of issues to do that. Okay, well, uh, let me then ask about the third horizon. As these technologies begin to mature, uh, the roadmap uh, describes uh, some of the more you know out there potential applications artificial organs for example uh exoflop laptops uh integrated solar based fuel production removal of greenhouse gases um, how will APPN provide each of these technologies so what is the time frame and uh for getting us to this point and i i guess that we we should, i should ask the first question first how how will, uh how will this uh provide for each of these technologies Throw that out to any panel member who wants to tackle it. Let's, is, let's uh, take just one. Take the artificial organ systems. Pearl, you've been talking about uh, uh, medical uh, medical technologies. Uh, is is that is that um, is that one that that, that you see uh, being kind of a natural follow-on to some of the other treatments that that you've that you've talked about? It seems to me that is one. That um, people would pay quite a bit for if if they could get a fully functioning replacement uh, heart or, or someone who's got kidney disease lost both their kidneys rather than having to get a transplant to to to, to get a uh, get a replacement kidney for example um, how does how how does this technology make make something like that happen? Um, it's a great question, Phil. Uh, I would say that I'm not an expert in this area that I could actually speak somewhat intelligently about it. Um, I would tend to agree with you that people would pay lots of money for it. I tend to think a little closer, I mean, even though some people may consider a stem cell research a lot closer to, it could be considered nanotech in some sense. Um, I do think it's a slightly, slightly different realm. Um, but I don't know, maybe David and Chris may, may disagree with me. Um, you know, scientific community can disagree with each other, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is Chris. I think when you think of artificial organ systems, it depends a lot on which organ you're thinking about. For example, the heart, we already can we already build artificial hearts. Now, they don't last as long as we would like, and they aren't quite as biocompatible as we would like, but they do work for at least some period of time. So um, compared to some of the other organs, it, because we're already doing hearts, hearts are relatively easier than some of our other organs. You look at something like the liver, um, that is doing a huge amount of chemical processing. And now there is a challenge, um, and, and that is probably going to be 
a very difficult thing to do. But if you turn it around and say, how would you ever build an artificial liver without nanotechnology or without atomically precise manufacturing? How could you do it? Um, I think you, it just looks, it's, it's hard to imagine. So rather than saying, um, how, how would you do it? It's more, how else could you possibly imagine doing it? Uh, building oh, that's a great way art- of putting it. Yeah. In order to build an artificial liver, it seems like if you want to build a liver, there are two ways to do it. You can use nature's tools and do biotech and try to build basically a biological liver um, just as na- pretty much as nature does, and that's a great idea, and, and maybe that's the way to go. But if you want to build a non-biological liver, you had better have atomically precise manufacturing or, or you just have no, no hope. Okay, we're we're getting close on our time here, so I'm going to jump to the final question, and I'll give you each your your choice of questions to answer. Either tell us what you see as the largest current roadblock uh, keeping us from achieving atomically precise uh, uh, productive nanosystems, or tell us uh, how you would define success for the roadmap project. At what point would you be able to say, yes, this worked. This is this is the results that we were looking for. And we'll start with David on that. Thanks. Well, I, I think, uh, and, and we talked about funding uh, uh, earlier. I, I think there there is plenty of funding out there, but the problem is one of focus. And we have to agree as a community that this is a worthwhile target, and we need to throw a lot of funding at the development of molecular machine systems. There's certainly plenty of funding for nanotechnology per se, but a lot of that goes to things that are not going to lead us to this long-term vision of atomically precise manufacturing. And so there really needs to be a consensus in the scientific and engineering communities to to say, yes, this is the target, this is something that we need to focus specifically on, get some governmental programs in place as the roadmap recommends, uh, and and get down to it. Okay. Pearl, same question. Uh, largest roadblock or uh, how, how would you define success? Um, I would actually like to see some more industry funding coming to this. Um, I mean, it, uh, I, mean we do, I think... Uh, We've relied mostly on government funding, what little is coming these days. Um, but I think the biggest challenge would be to get industry involved and in, in having them you know, put their money where their mouth is as well. I mean, I think many of the larger corporations are doing some of their own research and development as well. Um, but I do think they need to support um, funding research uh, at, the, at more of the, the earlier productive nanosystem stages. Okay, and and Christine, we're going to give you the last word on this question. What uh, we, we we know you've already mentioned uh, funding as a as a potential roadblock, so I, I'm going to limit your question to just the second side of it, which is uh, how how do you define success for the roadmap project? Um, what 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 uh, are the criteria you're looking for that that are going to say to you, yes, this is this has produced the results we were looking for? Well, so what I'll do is. Um Obviously, we're going to continue to push the roadmap forward, but, but what I'll need to do to decide the ultimate level of success for the roadmap is five or ten years from now, researchers will be coming to me and saying, yes, uh, when I read the roadmap five or ten years ago, it inspired me to, to move forward, to come up with new directions, to form new multidisciplinary teams. Um, or even younger people will come to me and say, "I changed my major. I went into the field. Now I'm a, you know, now I'm a full-time researcher in this field, and I'm devoting my career to making this happen." And that's how I'll know. We'll know. Uh, and we've seen this before with uh, with our conferences, with our, prep, our prior books. People become inspired, and that that's what really moves the field forward. Absolutely. Well, we look forward to seeing people be inspired by the roadmap and to seeing some of these horizons as they unfold. I want to thank you, Christine, David, and Pearl so much for being with us this evening and for taking the time to talk with us. We, we will have links 
back to the roadmap on the Speculist, and we'll also, of course, provide a link over to uh, Foresight Nanotech. Is that still Foresight.org? Is that the quick way of getting there? That's right. Okay, yep. Foresight.org, listeners, and we'll, uh, we'll make that available. So thank you all very much. We look forward to being with you all again on the next Fast Forward Radio. Good night. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.